You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. How many of you have ever read something or you've seen something um, and after you've kind of read it or you've watched it, you kind of just have this realization that you have just read or watched something that explains a lot. How many of you ever had that? Yeah. Several weeks ago, I had shown a video at our men's monthly Saturday morning breakfast, and it was an interview with a Christian rabbi by the name of Jonathan Kahn, and he's written several best-selling Christian books over the years, and he was being interviewed by a woman uh, over his latest book entitled The Return of the Gods. And I was so captivated by the interview because, as I stated, it really kind of began to explain so much of what I see happening in our culture right now that I kind of decided to share some of those things he talks about uh, in there because, again, I think it will go a long ways for you as well and maybe helping you to kind of begin to understand and to kind of begin to put things in perspective of the what's and the why's that are going on around us in our culture today. So this morning, I'm just going to kind of lay the groundwork for what I want to talk about in the coming weeks, because I think without it, you may not be able to fully appreciate or really kind of understand what Rabbi Khan is saying here. So let me just start with this verse uh, from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 32, verse 17, and then I'm going to kind of build out from there. And this is what it says. And he's referring to the nation of Israel here, and this is Moses speaking. And he says, they, meaning the the children of Israel, they sacrificed to Shadem, not to God, being Elohim in the Hebrew, to gods they did not know, to new gods, new gods that had come that your forefathers did not fear. Now, again, Moses is speaking here, and he's speaking to the nation of Israel. Moses is at the end of his life. His leadership over the nation of Israel is coming to an end. They are about to go into the promised land. You may remember uh, Moses was prevented from going with them, so he had to remain uh, behind. So his leadership over the nation of Israel is over. And before they go into the promised land, Moses gives them a very brief overview, a history of the nation of Israel. And part of that history that Moses is recounting with them involved them serving and sacrificing uh, to Shadem, to uh, the gods they did not know. These were two new gods, new gods that had come. These were new gods that their forefathers, those who had come before them, they did not fear. Now, the word Shadem there, it is a word that is very unfamiliar to most of us. It is a Hebrew word that is used only twice, um, and the other time that it is used is in Psalm 106, verses 36 through 37. And there it says, they served their idols, 
which became a snare to them, they even sacrificed their sons and daughters to Shaddam. Now, like Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 106, again, this is a summary of Israel's history. Uh, beginning there uh, from their exodus in slavery. Remember, they were, uh, they were enslaved there in the nation of Egypt. So it kind of begins there and takes them through what appears to be captivity uh, in Babylon. And so David is here speaking and uh, in recounting Israel's history, David also uses the word Moses used there in Deuteronomy 32, and he uses the word Shaddam. Now, these are the only two times in Scripture where that particular Hebrew word is used. And it references pagan gods that the nation of Israel at one point and another in their history served and worshipped uh, these pagan gods uh, throughout their history. Now, we, again, we don't know a lot about uh, the Hebrew word that Moses and David used there, Shaddam. We know that it is a, a word that is derived from the Hebrew word shud. And that word in the Hebrew simply means to act violently, to lay waste, to devastate that which brings destruction. So while we may not know a lot of what the word Shaddam means, we can tell from the, the root word what that means. We know that it's not good. In ancient Babylonian writings, the word Shaddam, again, referenced back to dark spirits that were evil. They were wicked. They were malevolent beings. And because, again, scholars don't exactly fully know what that word means, when Jewish scholars translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek, they had to find a word to translate the word Shaddam, and the word that they used was demoniai. And it's where we get our English word, demons. And so, uh, in most English translations, when you come to Deuteronomy 32 and Psalm 106, you'll find the word used there is demons. And if you've got your Bibles, you've probably uh, already noticed that if you've got that open to those uh, places. So Deuteronomy 32 verse 17 would say that they sacrificed to demons, not to God Elohim, who's the God of the Bible, but they sacrificed to gods they did not know, to new gods, new gods that had come, and these were gods that their forefathers did not fear. Psalm 106, they served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. Now, I don't want to get too far into the weeds um, on demonology, the study uh, of demons as we go through the series. I'm going to teach a little bit on that. I know for some people, um, that's kind of one of those topics we, we don't like talking about, but it is uh, a very real part um, of, of the scriptures. Uh, it, it's, it's good on our part to be wise uh, to aspects of demonology, so I'm going to try to be balanced here, and, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds 
on that. But I want you to at least understand, just as there are hierarchies of angels in heaven, there are also hierarchies of demons in hell. So in heaven, we know from scripture that there are what we call archangels like Michael and Gabriel. We also have the seraphim. Uh, those are uh, angels that are surrounding the throne of God in heaven. Uh, we know that there are cherubim. And each of those hierarchies of angels have different assignments, power, and authority. Likewise, there are hierarchies of demons, and each hierarchy of demons possess different assignments, power, and authority. Now, the reason I mention this is because some scholars believe that the Shaddam may be those demons that are a part of the highest levels in the demonic realms. The Shaddam may represent some of the darkest, the most evil, the most powerful, the most malevolent of demons. There may be some demons that the nation of Israel worshipped and served, and these may be what those are being referred to by Moses and David. So essentially what you had there in the nation of Israel and what Moses and David do in part of their recounting of the history of the nation of Israel is they talked about there were times where the nation of Israel worshipped and served only the God of the Bible. They, they worshiped Jehovah only. And in return, God blessed them as a nation. He would prosper them. If pagan nations would try to attack them, uh, God would rise up and he would be their shield and their defender. God would hear their cries for help and, and God would come to the rescue. So as Israel worshiped and they remained faithful in serving God and God alone, um, he would keep watch over them and he would keep them safe from all their enemies, whether those are human or demonic enemies. And then there would come periods of time in their history where the Israelites would begin to turn away from worshiping and serving God alone and, and they would begin to turn to other gods to new gods, to new gods that had come, these gods that their forefathers did not fear, and they would begin to worship and serve them. And as that happened, God would eventually give them over to those gods, to those demons, and, and, and God would essentially just lift his hand off the nation of Israel, and God would allow curses um, to come upon the nation of Israel causing mayhem and death and destruction. And this would go on until the nation of Israel would eventually repent, they would return to God, uh, and they would worship and serve him alone. And then God would once again, in response to their repentance, God would begin to bless and prosper them uh, as a nation, and, and he would drive out their enemies. He would drive out these demonic forces, and they would once again be positioned to receive God's blessing, uh, prosperity, and protection. 
The reason I mention this is because there were multiple, multiple cycles uh, where this would happen to the nation of Israel throughout their history. And many times those are recorded uh, in the Old Testament. They would worship God alone, then they would gradually turn from worshiping and serving God alone, and they would begin to serve and worship other gods, demons. And the worshiping of some of these other gods, these other demons, some of these new gods, some of these new gods that had come, these gods that their forefathers did not fear, some of them would get so wicked, so evil, so malevolent that they would actually eventually cause people to sacrifice their sons and their daughters. The demons who could get people influenced them in such a way that they were willing to sacrifice their sons and their daughters. These demons were thought to be a part of the Shaddam. They're so wicked, they're so evil, they're so malevolent. And these demons were a part of a very dark, very evil rank of demons that eventually drove people to kill their children. That was a part of the history, of the cycle of the nation of Israel. Now just stop and think about that. Again, often we, we kind of discount the demonic or we think, well, that's for third world, underdeveloped, ignorant, you know, third world countries. We, we don't deal with that in, in our country. We, we, don't, we don't have demons in America. But just stop and think about this. Can, can you imagine getting so involved in worshiping and serving demons that eventually it would come to you sacrificing your sons and your daughters to these demons. And I know some of you probably know where I'm going to go with this, but just stay with me and we'll get there eventually. I just want you to understand this was a true and a very tragic part of the nation of the, uh, the history of the nation of Israel. And it happened multiple times until again, the people would eventually turn back to God, they would repent, and God would deliver them. And part of that deliverance again uh, involved driving out these demons that uh, were unleashing all kinds of curses, death, and destruction among the nations of Israel. And the part that may be the hardest for most of us to understand is that once God delivered them from these dark, sinister forces, they would eventually come to a place in their history where once again they would turn from God and they would turn to these demons and they would come back into the nation of Israel bringing all their curses, death, and destruction with them. It's almost as if they'd forgotten their history. They didn't understand why what was happening was happening as it happened. Now put that thought on hold for a moment because I want you to hear something Jesus said in Matthew 12 beginning in verse 43. He says, when an unclean spirit, and he's talking about a demon, goes out of a man, the unclean spirit, the demon, and Jesus is teaching on demonology here. He says, that demon goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. 
That's interesting. I said here this morning, Jesus said, all who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. I will give you rest. It's interesting. They go through the dry places seeking rest. They find none. And the unclean spirit, the demon says, I will return to my house. And he's again referring to the inside of the man from which I came. And when the unclean spirit, the demon comes, he finds the human vessel, is what he's referring to there, empty, swept, and clean. Then the unclean spirit, the demon, goes and brings with him, and this is key, seven other unclean spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter into that man, they dwell there, and the state of that man is worse than it was at first with just the one demon that was in him. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is he's talking about an individual man. But I want you to see what he says next in verse 45. He says, so shall it also be with this wicked generation. In other words, what Jesus is saying is he's saying what is true of an individual man when it comes to the demonic realm will be true of a city, a state, a nation, a generation when it comes to the demonic realm. What happened to this man that Jesus is speaking about there, what happened to this man also has the potential to happen to others, whether they be a city, a state, or a nation. Let me just kind of unpack here for a few moments uh, this statement from Jesus. And let me kind of tell you where we're going to go for the next several weeks. Jesus is describing here in Matthew 12 a man who was demon-possessed. means he had a demon living on the inside of him. At some point, this man is delivered. And this demon, or demons, as you'll find in Scripture, sometimes people were possessed with more than one demon. But at some point, this man is delivered and this demon or demons are cast out of the man. Now, anyone who is possessed of a demon, anyone who has a demon living on the inside of them, the only way you can ever get that, that demonic spirit uh, to, to leave, to be, for that person to be delivered, is that evil spirit must be cast out by someone who has the power and the authority to do so. Now, once that demon, that unclean spirit has been cast out, Jesus says that demon will, will go and he'll kind of begin to walk the dry places seeking rest. Anytime an unclean spirit is cast out of a person, the one thing they always do, the first thing they always do is they will always seek a new host. They will look for a new place or a person to possess. Demons are simply disembodied spirits. So they're always looking for something or someone to possess or to dwell in. That's why in uh, Mark chapter 5, when Jesus cast the unclean spirits out of the man in uh, Gadarenes, 
Remember, the demons begged Jesus not to send them out of the country, but they begged him instead to allow them to enter into a herd of pigs. Now, Jesus allows the demons to enter the pigs, and then the pigs run off the cliff into the sea and drown. Again, demons are always seeking, always wanting, always looking for somewhere or someone to dwell, uh, to, to reside in. And Jesus wasn't about to give them permission to go from one person into another person. So he grants their request to dwell in the pigs. And even the pigs weren't too thrilled about being possessed by these demons. But again, it just demonstrates the desire, the need for demons to dwell, to possess something or someone. So once a person has the demonic dwelling within them, the demon or demons will just kind of begin to infiltrate the will, the mind, the emotions, and the actions of the person they possess. And that person, once they're, they're demonically possessed, they will begin to think, feel, say, or do things they would never consider doing if they were in their right mind. Now, there, again, there's a great example of this in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17, where a father brings his son to Jesus. And he tells Jesus that, that his son has demons inside of him, and these demons cause his son to fall into water and fall into fire. And, and he's taken his son to the disciples, and he says to Jesus, they, they can't do anything. Can you help him? And, and Again, Jesus cast the, the demon or demons out of that boy, and he comes back into his right mind. Now, again, the point being, when a person is possessed uh, by demons or, or a demon, they will do destructive things to themselves or to others that they normally would not do if they were in their right mind. Now, once a person's been delivered of a demon, once that demon has left that person, Jesus says that person is deemed to be, they're declared to be clean. Meaning that, you know, their life is once again in order. They, they are once again brought back into their right mind, their right state of being. Um, and, and they're empty. And he says, unless that person is refilled with something or someone. Now, for a Christian, we would say that is the Holy Spirit. He says, unless a person is filled with something, eventually that demon will come back. And if that person is still empty, Jesus says, he, that unclean spirit, that demonic spirit, will then go and find seven others worse than himself, and he will bring them with him to dwell into um, that man. And, and again, there is that hierarchy, seven uh, other demons more wicked than himself. There's that hierarchy at, at play there. And again, it says that, that they come back and again make the state of that person much, much, much worse uh, than before. 
That's why when it comes, uh, when a person becomes a Christian, we should always immediately share with them about the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we pray for them that they would receive, that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit so that if any unclean spirit would try to come back, they find that person not empty, but full of the Holy Spirit. There's nowhere for that, that demonic uh, uh, realm to inhabit. So when it comes to the demonic realm, it's safe to say that the longer demons dwell in any one place or person, the greater they have the potential of becoming both in number and wickedness. Again, you see in Mark 5, Jesus asked uh, one of the demons his name. Now, Jesus didn't you know, often talk to demons. He just cast them out. Often he would silence them, not allow them to speak. In this one instance, he did allow uh, the the demonic to speak. He asked the demonic what its name was. The demonic uh, spoke through that uh, human being and said, uh, my name is Legion, for we are many, indicating there is more than one demon uh, possessing uh, this man. Um, and so again, this man had probably been uh, demon-possessed for a long time. And once Jesus delivers the man by casting the legion of demons out of him, uh, again, the man is returned to his right mind. He is clean, orderly, and empty. Uh, and again, he will need to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to keep the unclean spirits from repossessing him. So uh, that's, uh, that's the groundwork. If you've been able to hang with me and kind of understand what I'm talking about up to this point, uh, we're going to kind of begin to build out um, from here. So Jonathan Kahn makes a couple of observations in his book, The Return of the Gods, that I think are very intriguing. First, he kind of wonders if there is a discernible observable pattern that occurred when the nation of Israel would go from worshiping and serving God alone to eventually turning to other pagan gods and worshiping and serving those. He asked the question, are there discernible steps the nation of Israel would take from total obedience to God to total disobedience to God. And he finds that there is. And I'll give you a teaser. The first step in leading the nation of Israel away from God was to separate God's people from his word, always. That was the first step that the nation of Israel always took when they began to turn. And, and again, it, it wasn't a hard, fast turn. It was slow, gradual, meditated, incremental. The first step in that was always, always, always. You begin by separating the people of God from the word of God. And we'll get more um, into that next week. If you could separate the people of God from God's word, 
chances were very good that, his, that, that God's people could easily and gradually be led astray into full-blown worshiping and serving pagan gods. And again, we'll get more into, that, uh, more into detail on that next week. He also wonders in, in this book, are there certain demons or demonic spirits or uh, entities that are consistently found to be working at, at work in leading the nation of Israel away from God? And what he finds there are at least three major demonic entities found in the scriptures, and he begins to talk about them, and he identifies what their roles were in leading the nation astray. And those three same entities, which you gotta understand, is they're still at work in the world today. Now, again, they may have been cast out. They may be roaming, seeking dry places. They may be getting, you know, they may possess here, get cast out. They'll go over here, possess, get cast out. But the point is, is they're always active. They're always seeking places to dwell. So he's wondering, where are these same spirits at work at today? Could they be at work in America today? And if so, what would that look like? How could, how could we tell? What would be ways that they would manifest in today's culture? And if they're here, how do we cast them out? How do we drive them out of the culture? And again, this is where we're going to go for the next several weeks. So let me just close. Again, that's the, this is the preface to the introduction to where we're going to go. Those of you that don't know me know I always have more to say than I have time to say it. Um, but uh, trust me, uh, this is going to be very eye-opening. Uh, for all of us. It was for me, and I know it will be for you. So let me just close with a couple of caveats as we need to have as we go through the series. First, in Ephesians 6, 12, Paul says this, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. As we see all of the troubling events that are occurring in our culture right now, it is so easy to place the blame on people or categories of people, especially those we strongly disagree with or dislike. Our natural tendency as human beings is to wrestle, to contend with, to do battle with flesh and blood. To do battle with the human beings we believe responsible for whatever is happening because it's really what we mainly see in the natural. What we don't see, what we're oftentimes unaware of, and what we need to be battling against, Paul says, is what we don't see, what we can't see, 
with our natural eyes, and that is the principalities against demonic powers, against the unseen rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places, because they are actually the ones influencing, acting, speaking, and manifesting through human beings. Now, sadly, there are many people throughout our culture in positions of high authority who have great power, they wield great influence that are being unknowingly controlled, manipulated, influenced, and used by evil principalities, evil powers, by wicked demonic rulers of this dark world and entities of spiritual wickedness in very high places. And they are completely unaware of how they are being used and influenced by these demonic forces. Now, what is even more tragic is Jesus has given the church the power and the authority to disarm and to dismantle these demonic powers. And many of us, we just settle to just do battle with flesh and blood, right? First caveat. Second, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ resulted in the greatest ongoing mass exorcism in world history. Whenever and wherever the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ was preached, it resulted in part in toppling and defeating every demonic stronghold it encountered. Can I get a hallelujah? hallelujah. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power, the dunamis, the dynamite of God to salvation for everyone who believes. This gospel of Jesus Christ, this power, he says, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It is only the gospel of Jesus Christ that has the power to break and to defeat every stronghold of the enemy. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, he says the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal. He said, but they are mighty unto God to the pulling down of those strongholds. And the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only and greatest weapon we have in defeating and dismantling the demonic strongholds. That's why everywhere Jesus went, wherever he encountered demons and the demonic strongholds, he just cast them out and he dismantled their strongholds. Interestingly, in Matthew 10, Jesus commissions his 12 disciples and he sends them out with these destructions. He said, and proclaim as you go saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. The casting out of demons was part of the ongoing work of the kingdom of God. It was the power of, that was the power of the gospel being manifested when, when it drove out demonic strongholds. 
And the Holy Spirit that dealt in Jesus, that gave him that power and authority, Jesus said, that same power that dwells in me dwells in you by virtue of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we also have the ability to cast out and to dismantle the demonic strongholds. Now, just a word of caution. Whenever these two worlds collide, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the demonic realms, I want you to understand at times it will involve a very intense conflict. I think that in part is why a lot of Christians tend to shy away from confronting the demonic. We don't like, we don't want the conflict that may pursue. The book of Acts records several of those first clashes between the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the demonic realm. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in Philippi, and they encounter a woman uh, who is possessed with what the scriptures call a spirit of divination. And she was owned by a group of men who made a lot of money off of her uh, by going and telling people, uh, the fortune telling is what she did. And so as Paul and Silas are kind of going around, and again, they're preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in power and in authority. And this woman, for whatever reason, is just following Paul and Silas everywhere they go in Philippi. And this woman, for days, she just cries out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, at some point, and I don't know exactly why, but Paul becomes annoyed by, by her. And in verse 18, he just commands that unclean spirit to come out of the woman in the name of Jesus. Now, again, notice Paul deals with, he addresses the unclean spirit, not the woman. That's wrestling against flesh and blood. When you're coming at the woman and not the demonic spirit that's operating in her, you're coming against flesh and blood. Paul doesn't do that. Paul contends with, he does battle with, he wrestles with the demonic power that possessed that woman. And after Paul commanded the evil spirit to come out, it does. However, when the owners of this woman realized their means of making money, I mean, she was a cash cow. She was a fortune-telling cash cow. And when they realized that their means of making money through her ability to tell the uh, fortunes was gone, they become enraged at Paul and Silas. And they had them beaten, arrested, and thrown in jail, which was ended when a violent earthquake shook that prison to its foundation. And you remember, even the jailers got saved. My point being that when we preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and we do that in power and we do that in authority, when we're doing the work of the kingdom of God, especially in dealing with and in confronting demonic realms, there will be times, not always, but there will be times of great conflict and we must not shy away from that. Paul tells us there are wicked principalities, demonic powers, unseen rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, and the only power that can defeat them is the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why I believe the preaching of the gospel 
is the greatest ongoing mass exodus in world history. It was the solution then, it is the solution now. It worked then, it will work now. It was the solution for the Christians and churches in the book of Acts, and it is the solution for the early church, and it continues to be the solution for the church today. Now, next week, I'm going to pick it up here, and I'm going to talk about those first of three gods, those evil spirits, a possible part of the Shaddam that led the nation of Israel astray, and how that same God, that same evil spirit may actually be at work in America and in our culture today. So let me just leave um, this uh, with you this morning. Uh, um, pray um, for clarity for me. I want to I be able to bring forth with clarity that which I need to be clear on and not get distracted or get off on rabbit trails that are unnecessary or not helpful to you. Uh, so just pray for me as I'm, you know, kind of going down this, this trail because, again, there always comes, there will always come demonic um, resistance. Um, sometimes it's, it's very mild. Sometimes it can be pretty um, intense. So I just would ask that you would pray for me uh, as we're preparing this. And pray for you. Pray for yourselves that, that you are able uh, to hear exactly what it is that, that we need to hear uh, as a congregation. Because I do believe that we are in a time of, of great conflict. I think conflict we have never ever seen or experienced in our country before. And I, and I know many of you see that, you recognize, you realize that, and sometimes we just feel helpless to know what to do. Well, we're not helpless. The gospels tell us what to do. We just need to have the wisdom and the courage, the boldness to do it, amen? amen. Let's stand together. Father, again, we just thank you so much. And Lord, I know this is really, really heavy, heavy stuff. But yet, Lord, I think it is so necessary. It is so needed. It is so long overdue in the body of Christ. And Father, for that, we repent that maybe we haven't been as diligent to your word as we need to be. And yet, God, we thank you that you are a God that when we turn to you in our time of need, when we turn to you for help, God, you never, ever, ever turn us away. And so, Father, I, I just pray for us as a congregation as we begin to unpack and we begin to kind of unfold here in the next several weeks. I pray your protection over me, over this congregation, Father that we know right now that the enemy is at work trying to steal whatever seeds have been planted in the hearts of people. Jesus said that's, that's part of the work of the enemy. Wherever this, the, the word of God, the seed of God is planted, the first thing the enemy does is he, he comes and he tries to snatch that away. Father, I just pray protection over people's hearts this morning, Father, that whatever seeds were sown would remain and God, not only would they remain, but they would begin to take root, they would grow, and they would begin to bear much fruit. So Father, I just pray, Lord, that you'll give us, me, our congregation, clarity as we move through this, Lord. Help us to go where you want us to go. Lead us where you want to lead us. Speak through me, Father. 
And again, we just thank you, Lord, for our time together here this morning. And Father, we just uh, thank you for your power, your presence here this morning. And Father, I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that you have given to us, Lord, to fill us to overflowing, to fill us in a way, Lord, that the enemy could never penetrate. So Father, this morning, we just, we receive a fresh infilling of that Holy Spirit. Fathers, we just, we just extend our, our open hands to you this morning, Father. It's our, our way of asking. It's our way of, of believing, of trusting, Lord, that, that you are sending your Holy Spirit even now to, to fill us again to overflowing. We again thank you for your promise that you'll never leave us nor forsake for us in Jesus' name. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.